Good morning, all. Welcome to our seminary chapel service. We have a special treat today, a presentation of the Capstone Integration Project by Reverend Juan Carlos Malvez, and we look forward to centering the service on his project with the title Hospitality, Fostering Healing Communities for Immigrants and Refugees. This, in so many ways, represents what we are about here at Easter Mennonite Seminary, which is the integration of ministry, peace, justice, and formation, and the integration of all of these ways of academic and pastoral and ministerial study and personal and communal formation that's part of our learning community here at EMS. And our capstone integration projects represent the culmination of all of this growth on this learning journey and the journey of God's transformation of persons and communities. So as we join together, I would invite you to read a prayer in unison that will be posted on the screen. All together. Welcoming God, in whose kingdom strangers are kin, the unwanted beloved, and the sorrowful dance. Open the hands, the hearts, and the homes of your children that those in need may find in us generous friends. In the name of Jesus Christ, who came to us as a stranger and as one of our own. Amen. Lara will play through once our gathering hymn, Seek the Peace of the City, and we will join singing the second time she plays it through. Word of the Lord to Moses, who was an immigrant from infancy. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. 
my anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to one of my people, among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset. Because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has, what else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 15 through 20. And Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. By using my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes in their hands, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and proclaimed the good news everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the signs that accompanied it. The word of the Lord for the people of God. As Dr. Bixler has already said, at Eastern Mennonite Seminary, the capstones in the Master Divinity program represent the culmination of a long process of coursework, research, and reflection. Longer for some than for others. Uh, And it's always a joy to get to this place. I have had the privilege of serving as Carlos's mentor for this project over the past year. Part of the time we were also struggling with Greek. We had fun. Um, But as, as we've heard, the capstone is more than just the culmination of a course. It draws together the learning and the engagement of these years of study, and it also points forward where the, uh, person who has done this work is looking ahead, the vision and the challenge that go before them in ministry. So today we do have the opportunity of hearing from Pastor Juan Carlos Malvais, and he'll be interviewed by Pastor Roy Hange. After Carlos's presentation, we'll have about 10 minutes for you to respond with questions or responses I apologize if you're attending virtually, you won't be able to handle, I won't be able to handle questions from you, uh, but we can be assured that you will want to send your affirmations and questions to Pastor Carlos. I want to especially thank Dr. Bixler and also Dr. Rolando Santiago, who's the Chief of Behavioral Health and Crisis Services in Montgomery County, Maryland. Both of them are serving as assessors for today's presentation. Uh, Roy. just set my timer for two minutes. About six years ago, as district minister of Harrisonburg District, I said we need to hear from Juan Carlos and Wendy. I invited the pastors for our our monthly lunch to the basement at Ridgeway Mennonite Church. They had, at Ridgeway, just been awarded the missional carpet of the year because the kids club 60 at a time every Wednesday night tore up their carpet so bad they had to replace it. 
Many of those children were ministered to by Juan Carlos and Wendy, but that's not why I asked them to speak. The Honduran food Wendy made was amazing, even though this gringo called it Mexican, Lord have mercy. That's not what we gathered for. We gathered to hear the stories of their inner healing ministry from their retreats and church planting life for their first 10 years as the body of Christ at Menentiel de Vita. The stories held us. Not only did Juan Carlos and Wendy speak, but two of the members of their church describing the transforming healing work of the Spirit of God and the active living Word of God meeting many needs over many years in many ways. I am sad to say that I did not go for seconds. Neither did many of the other pastors. We were glued to our seats held there by the Spirit who was revealing its work through the faithful hearts of Juan Carlos and Wendy and you're about to hear the structure and vision of that work. I sat back and listened. The main image that came to me in that time, last 10 seconds, was in their inner healing ministry to, of hospitality to the immigrants, they were breaking the cycles that create the next generation of traumas and healing and freeing hearts and spirit to know and hold the image of God. Amen. Okay. Thank you all for coming. Oh, what a surprise. Thank you all for coming. <laughs> I thought you were busy. I, I was hoping you were really busy. <laughs> so before I start, I want to thank, I want to express my, my gratitude to all faculty and staff at Eastern Mennonite Seminary. Thank you. Thank you for the support of the last, over the last five years. Um, yeah, finally, I get to present. Um, I had a great time preparing for this presentation. Uh, have a great time in conversation with professors, mentors, friends, fellow pastors. And I want to thank you all for your wisdom. Thank you, professors. Thank you, everybody, everybody for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your uh, book recommendations. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for the essays and articles you sent my way, even after I told you that I was done with research. <laughs> Just keep on coming, <laughs> keep on coming. So besides the research and the conversations, I also have time to do reflection, reflecting on the last 20 years as a pastor, a pastor in the immigrant community in Harrisonburg. In also 30 years of living as an immigrant myself in this nation. So why do I believe immigration matters? Hospitality, fostering healing communities for immigrants and refugees, why do I believe this matters? So the first thing I find in my research is that it's so hard not to have a position about immigration. Immigration is in our daily discussions. Immigration is in the news narratives. Immigration is in the classrooms. Even not having a position about immigration, it means that you have a position about immigration. So I also find that immigration is not just an American south of the border phenomenon. As you can see in these images that I find in Al Jazeera website, uh, it's beyond the borders. It's happening all over the place. It's happening in Europe, Asia, South America, Central America, and looking for images, I say, well, these are too new. I need something that is more historical. And I arrived to those. Yeah, something like that. And I said, well, maybe we can find something a little, yeah, why not? And going back to history, I said, well, we can find another one. And after Abraham, I don't know, maybe Adam and Eve getting out of, a, I don't know. One of the things I notice is the different perspectives about immigration. Even, even the way immigration language is approached, the, the way people approach immigration. There's many ways to approach immigration. Some people call immigration a problem. 
Some people call immigration an issue, a matter, a situation, and some people call immigration a crisis. So the opinions are divided, and particularly in two groups. Those who are telling people, we're glad you're here, and those who are telling people, we don't want you here. And you will see that um, almost every day. So perhaps this mobility of population is not just something new. I think it's been happening for a long time. William Kavanaugh, in fact, says that this is something that he calls global mobility, along with tourists, pilgrims, and monks. Immigration is part of what he calls global mobility. Global mobility has been happening. It's happening right now at this moment in some border, and it will continue to happen. So by looking at this, I ask some questions. Number one, what is our response as a society to immigration? And more important than that, what is our response as a Christian community? And I think our response is important. Look, if you're an educator, if you're a mental health professional, if you're a chaplain, if you're a pastor, at some point in your work or ministry, you're gonna find yourself serving an immigrant or a refugee and hopefully get paid. You will find yourself, if you're a pastor, present, or future minister of the gospel, that across the street from your congregation, it will be an immigrant or a refugee neighbor. That is very, very common. Just take a look at our city, Harrisonburg. 60,000 population. 20% of the population in, 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 in the Shenandoah Valley identify themselves as Hispanic, Latino, or Latinx. Harrisonburg High School, almost 60% of the population of students identify themselves as Hispanic or Latino. So let's see where immigrants are coming from. And for this project, I want to con I concentrate on a group that is from Central and South America. No, I'm not going to address all immigration. I'm going to concentrate on a group, the people that come from these countries, Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador. We have large numbers from Asia and China, but then we have Brazil, Venezuela, Ecuador, Colombia. And I want to say that I concentrate on this group because it is a group that I believe in our society is one of the vulnerable groups. The Department of Homeland Security called this group of immigrants unauthorized. They also call them illegal aliens or undocumented. Why do I believe they're vulnerable? Well, they have no access to any benefits. They have no access to any government support. They have no access to healthcare. They have no access to anything. And they're living among us. So these are the estimates by entries according to the 2018 uh, last count for the Department of Homeland Security. Now, the numbers for the last administration had yet to be released, but they're expected to be record numbers. So why immigration happens? Why people come here? Well, you're going to hear this maybe in the news outlets and in many, many other places. Migrants come here because they are seeking progress, they're pursuing happiness, they're looking for a better future, and they are looking for religious freedom, and that's a historical fact. In addition to that, immigrants are escaping poverty, corruption, unrest, war, natural disasters, and political tyranny. And I talk about, in previous opportunities, about the corruption in Latin American countries and all the criminal organizations that close all doors for success. And most of the time, many of these families find that the best option is to take on the dangerous, expensive, and traumatic journey to North America. And everybody acknowledged this is a traumatic journey. The Department of Homeland Security states, these victims are trafficked for the purposes of sexual or labor exploitation. They are forced into prostitution, domestic form of factory labor. So we con I'm continuing formulating questions. What is the Christian view of hospitality? 
What is the biblical hospitality? And what does it mean to take on the call to be hospitable? What does the Christian church respond to the escalating needs of immigrants and refugees? Let's see, we start with the Old Testament context. Immigration is, is, is something that is talked all over the Old Testament. God continually reminds his people to remember their own immigration story. In fact, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were aliens all their lives. Now, when we come to the New Testament, we not necessarily find the term immigration as, as such, but we see Jesus' encounters with the sick, with the oppressed, the vulnerable, the Gentiles, the people who were oppressed. And just one example of that, Jesus reaching out to others uh, beyond ethnicity and nationality is John chapter 4, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Mark 16, 15 to 20, Jesus commands his disciples to go to all nations and to spread the word to everybody the good news. And I know good news means different things for different people. Based on Mark 16, I would argue that good news means healing, spiritual deliverance, transformation, and salvation. In addition to that, Mark 1, 25-34 shows another aspect of the good news. According to these gospel narratives, Jesus did the following most of the time, preaching, teaching, healing, and exorcisms. All of that is part of the good news. So, okay, so we have immigration. It's happening. It's a problem. It's an issue. It's a matter. It's a situation. We have God's commands to protect that community. And we have Jesus as a good example, reaching out to those vulnerable. So what is our function as Christian leaders? What are we gonna do? First, I found in, in, in the book, Exploring Practices of Ministry by Pamela and Michael Copper White, the following. The basic functions of pastoral care as developed by pastoral theologians are healing, sustaining, guiding, reconciling, nurturing, empowering and liberating. Would the immigrants qualify for a pastor who does that? Or are they just out of the picture? We are invited to practice hospitality with a pastoral heart, to be compassionate. Jesus commands his followers to be intentional and in engaging with the supplying for the needs of vulnerable communities. I believe that the gospel narratives are clear the story suggests the mission and passion of Jesus to reach out to those who were enduring discrimination, emotional hardship, physical disease, and those who were oppressed by evil. The good news, in my opinion, include teaching, healing, miracles, and exorcisms. From the Christian perspective, where does hospitality happen? And you, you're gonna love this. It happens in community. Michelle Hershberger, on her book, Hospitality, says, it's impossible to practice hospitality out of the church setting. It needs to happen in community. It happens through community connections. So with, the, with aiming to those connections, most congregations create what they, what they call outreach committees. 95% of the churches in the Shenandoah Valley practice support or do some type of outreach. These outreach teams have different uh, goals. Number one, they want to communicate the greeting. And they communicate the greeting by using banners, flags, signs, electronic boards to tell people, we are happy you're here. We are glad you are our neighbor. We're happy to have you. They communicate the greeting then these outreach committees develop, develop ways to help the needs of those neighbors. They connect one-to-one. -one. They create programs to support, teach English, do something with the children. They wanted to do outreach by spoken words, by, by means of helping. They do make substantial connections. So that is what I call hospitality by the book. You communicate the greeting, 
You create connection teams, you connect to people, identify the needs, you become a resource, you be a good host, and you empower. And many Christian denominations understand that. In fact, they engage in a bigger scale. Mennonite Church USA uh, released a statement in 2014. The, by the way, it was a review, it was a revision of a 2008 statement where invi they invite uh, congregations to develop, to be intentional and develop a vision of hope. They encourage congregations to be educated about immigration, create Bible studies, trips, sermons, to advocate, to engage in mutual aid. They encourage churches to attend the Bienvenido program created by Gilberto Perez, a, a, a good way to engage with the community and connect the community with the, re, with the resources. The vision encourage congregations to build relationships, to partner with immigrants, and to pray for immigration response. So the church has done a great job connecting with neighbors. Now, this is my suggestion. In addition to those primary needs of food and shelter, I want to raise an awareness of the deep-rooted emotional and spiritual needs of immigrants. Understanding the Latin American immigrants that arrive crossing borders are survivors, as they survive a deep traumatic experience after the long journey to North America. Listen, sometimes as far as 6,000 miles, and they can recall what happened in each one of those 6,000 miles. In their journey to America, migrants become susceptible to assault, extortion, human trafficking, and I talked about that before. Nothing happens in the border, in the Mexican side, that is not controlled by criminal organizations. Everything is under control. In addition, immigrants are dealing with the emotional trauma, family separation anxiety, the loss of their land, and the, and the emotional traumas related to Latin American context, such as domestic violence, family dysfunction, generational trauma, extreme poverty, and social trauma. I recommend to outreach committees and church planters to pay attention to the emotional needs of the immigrant community. I encourage you to develop an inner healing approach to any outreach effort. Be prepared to address family separation anxiety. Be prepared to address traumatic effects of domestic violence, war, displacement, abuse. In addition, I suggest to church leaders and church planters to create a plan to deal with diverse spiritual realities. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And take in consideration Latin American pagan roots. Get to know the practice of pagan rituals. Get to know, the, get to know pagan traditions and connections with the occult practiced by other cultures. And do not be afraid to deal with demonic manifestations. Pagan practices in Latin America and the Caribbean develop a unique awareness of the spiritual world, particularly with the occult, in contrast to our Western perception of the occult. The occult in our circles is ignored, diminished, mocked, and put away. However, uh, Western Christianity do not need to believe in the demonic for the demonic to be real. The demonic is real and is oppressing thousands of people in our communities. This is the reality of some people. Demonic influence, demonic oppression, ties and contracts with the occult, familiar spirits attached to family lines, generational trauma and generational sinful practices. How can we be effective if we do not address those issues? If we don't want to go beyond food, pantries, and shelter. Now, I know what I'm going to say right now is provoking, interesting, and I'm ready for comments later. Uh, it deserves more conversation. But in recent years, mental health professionals, church leaders, and scholars 
the develop methodologies to address a trauma, some of those methodologies acknowledge the influence of demonic activity in some cases. And more often, mental health professionals are recommending spiritual interventions. And that is happening. So let's go back. What is diverse spiritual realities? In the Latin American context, it's common to engage in diverse forms of occultism and rituals and pagan traditions. Children dedications to shamans, visitations to witch doctors, uh, diverse uh, evoking the dead, diverse contracts with diverse spirits, those are the realities of the people who are in our communities. New Testament scholar and professor Wheeler Swirly, invitation is for leaders to take evil seriously. Through my seminary studies, clinical pastoral education, uh, pastoral care, I became aware of other methodologies and theories to deal with, with trauma, family separation, anxiety, family systems. And a quick example, one of those family, in, in, in the Bowen theory, one of, the, one, of, one of the concepts is the cutoff concept that informs and explains the anxiety created by separation, by withdrawal from a family, by leaving, away, leaving relatives behind. And it's been so often uh, happening in our, in our society that Roberta uh, Gilbert says that this nation has been known as a nation of cutoffs because there's so many people dealing with this reality. They, they leave family, they leave land behind. In my ministry context for the last 20 years, my wife and I begin to connect with immigrant community and the neighborhood and beyond, and believe me, we did outreach by the book. Each one of those points, we went through it. We give stuff away, we give money away, clothing away, food away, and at the end, we reach a point of frustration. As we see families and a continue, and continue uh, struggle emotionally and spiritually, we begin to listen to the effects of the traumatic experiences most immigrant families continually recreate the traumatic experience of crossing borders, the emotional struggle of leaving relatives behind, and continually recall all the forms of abuse, of abuse they suffer, and that is a clinical sign of trauma. Through conversations with immigrants, we identify destructive patterns of sickness and behavior that have been attached to the family for generations. Then again, informed by the eight concepts of the Bowen theory, we begin to use the genograms as a tool of identification to trace the patterns, to see where people, people's history and see where they're coming from. I was also inspired by the book Roots Matter by Paula Owens that also informs the process and the impact of generational trauma. Then I listened to my wife, and I well, yeah, I, I should, but my wife is a mental health professional. And by listening to her and by meeting with people, and we begin to identify patterns, and we begin to ministry the same issues over and over and over, very similar. In order to be more effective in, in, in ministry in, in, a, in a better context, we develop uh, inner healing and deliverance retreat, using the scripture uh, as, as a guide, discernment, prayer. We begin, develop a structure to minister those needs on a retreat in a good environment and a comfortable place in a retreat setting. Um, inner healing and deliverance, identification of generational patterns became an essential tool to our ministry. It does change our lives and it changed our ministry, the holistic approach to the needs of immigrants in the community. Our retreat model continues to improve, uh, informed by the needs of the community and also informed by other 
uh, other um, theories. Uh, I want to mention uh, the opening to grace retreats, the guest talk Pastoral Care holds. Opening to grace retreats invite to experience a holistic awareness of body, emotions, and spirit. Learning from the, the Hestal model, our inner, our inner healing and deliverance teams are available to, available to minister to people even out of the retreat setting. And Opening to Grace Retreats has been developed by Reverend Tilda Norberg, our ordained United Methodist minister. The retreat is designed to be a place of prayer, spiritual awareness, and reflection. My wife and I have developed these workshops based on the scripture, ministry experience, and also our ministry context. The uh, schedules are tough. Usually I lost four pounds in every, in every retreat. I should go more often. <laughs> they're draining, they're tiring, there's a lot of teaching, a lot of listening. It takes hours and hours. One, one, uh, Deliverance um, prayer can take as quick as five minutes or as long as five hours, but we can see the results. The effectiveness of the retreat relies on the perfect sacrifice of Jesus and his everlasting love. So the response of the church, present and future leaders, it turns out to be crucial. Perhaps Christian communities in North America will have to embrace hospitality as a path to keep Christianity relevant. I'm gonna ask you the question that William Kavanaugh asked on his, on his essay. How should Christians respond to the disorder of the new war order? This is my vision for immigrant congregations, church planters, and our rich committees to develop inner healing and deliverance teams, organize prayer support teams, to establish accountability teams, and foster healing communities. In conclusion, just to finalize, humanity needs, humanity needs are complex. And I don't know if you notice, but the, res the recent pandemic just add another layer of complexity. How are we going to respond to the needs of our congregation and communities? Can the church do it alone? Can Moses do it alone? <laughs> a good friend, a good friend, Dwayne Beck, member of the Virginia Conference leadership team, he said, no one, no one can do it alone. Not, not a social service agency, not a church, not a community, community institution, not a single psychological or spiritual or social service treatment has been entirely successful. Therefore, I believe that our times demand for collaboration. As we continue to navigate the effects of trauma, mental health, and spiritual oppression, as ministers of the gospel, we will continue to rely on God's victory, Jesus' victory over evil, and continue fostering healing communities. Thank you. Thank you all for your kind attention. Thank you, Carlos, for that passionate and spirit-led presentation. We have a, a bit of time here for you to respond with questions, comments, and I'll try to bring the mic so that we can have the, them available to people that are listening virtually, and you can just stay right there. Questions or comments for Carlos? I think they need a minute to process. Then the question. While they're while they're thinking, Carlos, I have a question for you. I know you have also uh, 
interacted very personally with individual stories. Could you just say a bit about some of the, um, the guidelines you've developed for that handling very confidential personal stories? Yeah, well, that has been um, a learning experience because it's in occasionally times to do um, exorcisms would come at the end of the service. And then I become sensitive about people's privacy. And so we take some time to talk and conversation and to create a safe setting for everybody. And yeah, every case is different. Uh, and there is no, I have not encountered a case when one session fixes everything. So we have to come multiple times, kind of like a counseling sessions. We come listening, praying, keep developing the awareness and inviting, inviting Jesus all the time. But yeah, I, I, I think privacy has become more important than before in, in, in our ministry. And to hold Hispanics and privacy is hard. They want to use like, yeah. Thank you. So as a pastor with uh, children, um, how do you balance the needs of, of your family and your, your marriage with the needs of the immigrants that you're ministering to? Thank you, Mike, for your question. Yeah, I don't think I did a good job balancing for the last 15 years. I think my wife and I actually uh, fall into burnout. And, and even though we have great advices and great mentors, I think we did. Our passion and our desire to help people, it just drive us all the way, and we really fell into burnout. Uh, after that, for the last five years, I became more uh, intentional about taking time off, uh, taking my, um, my, putting my phone away, and just set up times to check emails and, and um, and the needs of the of the of the of the church, uh, being a pastor is a demand is demanding is really demanding. And if you're available, they use you as much as they can. So I think I set up my own boundaries. And um, uh, a friend of mine said, "Well, if there's a demon, it's not gonna go anywhere. We can go tomorrow." <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but it, it's the reality. Could you Thank you, Mike. Yes, sir. Could you say something about uh, team ministry? I, rem I remember you worked with the Machados and Wendy's parents. Yes. And um, having a team. Also, could you tell maybe a composite story with different elements from different stories to represent the kind of transformation you've seen? Yeah. Thank you, Roy. Uh, so, yeah, at the beginning, we just pray for people as they, as they come. Like, if they need me at 10 o'clock, Five o'clock, one o'clock, I was there to pray. And then we, we became more intentional about setting boundaries and also do things as a team, do things as a team. So people is trained to do healing prayers and exorcisms. And there's support, uh, prayer support teams in the congregation, and there's also accountability teams. Uh, so nothing goes out of hand because it happens in the past when there's no accountability and there's uh, things happen that were not supposed to happen. So the, uh, the, the formation for this ministry is not just the simple prayer. It needs to be a network of support and prayer and, and accountability. And uh, stories about inner healing and deliverance, I have a, about 200 every Sunday. You can come and see it. They can share. There, there are too many, Roy. Um, but I, one of the things that I, I think I just yesterday, uh, uh, somebody was visiting from, uh, uh, from, from the congregation, they continually are grateful about, they continue to express the gratitude about becoming to Manantial de Vida. Uh, and I share one of the testimonies on, on, on the essay and on the paper, on the, on the project. Um, she came from a dysfunctional family. She was abandoned, uh, abandoned by her father and, and a single mother, and it was just too many things and too many anger and too many uh, loneliness and depression. And she testifies how by, by using this approach and, 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 become, and, and become a member of Manantial de Vida, 
and be intentional about the healing and the healing process, she testifies how uh, her family was restored uh, and many similar stories. Now, uh, the retreat, I want to be clear, the retreat is neither the beginning or the end of someone process. After the retreat, we follow up with uh, prayer partners, discipleship, and to people uh, so, uh, uh, reach a sustainability point. Yeah, thank you, Roy. Carlos, one of the things I've appreciated about you so much is your deep desire to be present with people and the boundaries that you set as well. That's really come through um, in our class conversations. Yes. And I'm thinking as well about, you mentioned teams, training, and gestalt pastoral care techniques. As you think about that, um, that process that you had on one of your slides, um, communicate, and then follow up, build a resource, um, and ending with empower. As you think about the, the learning, new learning that you're calling for about trauma and about particular methods, um, are, is that something that you would encourage teams to learn first before they start any kind of outreach process? Or are you suggesting Let's throw away that old model and, and do something completely new. Yeah, thank you. Uh, no, no, I think, I, I, as I mentioned, I think the, uh, the basic way to do outreach, it has been successful. Uh, but I also notice a point of frustration in churches who do outreach, a point where they say, well, we have done everything. We give them everything and we see no results. So uh, this is a complementary approach, not only to give material, physical, for the physical needs, but also through those connections that we create in the outreach, through those connections that perhaps sometimes it would take a little longer time. Those uh, connections will open door to listen to the stories, then ministry to the stories. I, I think uh, someone who, who wants to to do inner healing and deliverance, uh, it's, it's a good, good idea to go through a training. I know uh, guest hall pastor worker has an amazing training, but also attend one of these retreats, or even experience uh, inner healing and deliverance yourself for the first time. Um, Dr. Appleby from, uh, David Appleby from Leesburg came to talk to us a few years ago and I, I, I perceived some resistance from the pastors. And my first, the first thing on my head was like, you know, all of them need to go to the retreat. <laughs> Thank you, Professor. Maybe we have time for one more comment or question. Great. Thank you. We have a lot to think about, and I'm sure Carlos is, uh, he's around. If you have further feedback or, or questions, I'm sure he'll be happy to talk to you later. Thank you so much, Carlos. You're welcome. You are invited to join in prayer, which it will be projected on the screen. I will read and I invite you to join in a spirit of prayer. Christ, our companion, you came not to humiliate the sinner, but to disturb the righteous. Welcome us when we are put to shame, but challenge our smugness that we may truly turn from what is evil and be freed even from our virtues in your name. We think this hymn may be familiar to many of you, so please join as Laura leads us from the piano.
Now go and reflect Jesus' peace to the world. Proclaim the good news to all nations, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Go and share God's abundant grace and love. God bless you. You are dismissed.